Please support Unfound during this holiday season at Patreon, PayPal, or YouTube. On this episode, I talk about a robber who got away with it. I discuss a woman found in a trash chute. I analyze a man in a ventilation shaft story. And I cover a bunch of other stuff, including more Pauline Diaz information. I'm Ed Densel, and this is Unfound Live for December 4th, 2023. Hello, everyone. Good to see all of you. I hope I'm coming through loud and clear. This is Unfound Live for December 4th, 2023, the first live show of December of 2023. I, of course, have a fantastic show lined up for you tonight. A lot of things to talk about, both Unfound-related and not Unfound-related. There have been some stories out there that I want to cover. Uh, A couple very unique, strange um, occurrences uh, just seemingly coming together in different parts of the United States that I think that are very relevant to what we do here at Unfound. I want to go over uh, the, the last week's Dr. Telesco show in which I talked about the Colonial Parkway murders. Got a lot of things to cover. A couple um, searches, or at least in one of these situations, discovery of remains that could certainly be related to uh, an unfound disappearance. Going to be getting into that before we're all done. And I'm hoping some of you will uh, type in some questions in the chat. I think you all know how much I love answering your questions as long as they are PG-related and uh, don't have anything to do with religion or politics. I will happily answer those questions. Hold on just a moment for a second. All right, I'm back. Okay, um, before before all of that, though, what do I tell all of you? You got to give this video a thumbs up, this live show a thumbs up, so do that. In fact, in this uh, Christmas season, in this uh, season of giving and sharing and taking, why don't you share this live show with some people that you think might enjoy it? I'm sure all of you know somebody else who is into true crime, into disappearances, and just general crime news across the United States and elsewhere. You're allowed to share this live show with someone. Maybe we get uh, build this audience in 2024 even a little bit bigger. But you got to give this video a thumbs up. You got to share it. You got to like it. If you're not a subscriber, do that. As the, uh, what is it? The overlay tonight says support unfounded PayPal. 
me forward slash unfound podcast. In fact, I could even put a different one up there tonight. Why don't we put this one up? Whoops. There we go. Support this content at Patreon, PayPal, and YouTube. And while you're watching tonight, maybe you do want to hit that, at least if you're watching on YouTube, you can hit the little dollar sign there with a square around it. That is the super chat button. And you can contribute to what we do here that way through YouTube. A lot of things you can do while you are listening or watching uh, this show on a weekly basis. So let's see who is in here tonight, everything, what's going on. Nephew Charles, hello to you. Charlene, hi, everyone. Hope you're all doing well. Hopefully I'll be able to stay awake for the live show. It's on 2 a.m. Irish time. Been reading some of that Irish news, uh, Charlene. Uh, Some issues you have over there in the Dublin area. Stay safe over there. Charlie getting ready for his Ohio-Pennsylvania trip. Trip. Me too, Charlie. Me too. And Fishing said my work hours make it hard to stay awake for the live show. Great job, Ed. Thank you, Fishing. What's going on with you? Good thing your uncle does well at keeping everyone awake on top of things with a spectacular live show. Thank you, everything. Uh, thank you, Karen, Jasmine. Uh, yep. And as I, I'm going to get into that, what I wrote Charlie there. And um, Kathy, what's going on, Valerie? Hazel, hello. Hello to you, Hazel. Sheree, thank you for moderating tonight. Hopefully we'll have no issues. And uh, oh, you're going to be leaving on the 12th. So I think I'm getting in on the evening of the 12th, Charlie. I think I'm landing in Denver like around 6 p.m. or something like that that day. Um, Valerie is asking me a question. I will answer that question here in a bit, Valerie. Good question. And Lisa, good to see you. How are you? Thank you, everybody, for tuning in tonight. Um, What's been going on with me? You know, I was supposed to play disc golf this past weekend down there in Bradenton. And you know what? I uh, decided not to go. Um, And instead, I got a lot of good working ahead um, done and getting some – I had to listen to some calls that I did last week. had to put together an interview outline and and a lot of things that would not have gotten done had I had to drive down to Bradenton, which takes an hour, then to warm up, maybe it's another hour. And then play for two hours. There's four hours, then an hour back, and then shower. I mean, that would have been at least six hours. And then, of course, just the wear, you know, kind of being tired and everything. On Saturday and Sunday, I would have had to have done that. So I actually withdrew from the the tournament and got a lot of good work done this weekend. Because you probably understand that this time of year, mainly between like the middle of November and the end of the year. It's not a really good time for true crime people, especially if you interview people like I do and reaching out to people. um, You know, this time of the year is all about family and getting together and having good times. Then, of course, everybody I'm talking to has has those disappearances. 
in their families. And it's one of those things, do I really, really want to get, you know, put, you know, if the, you know, do I really reach out to them this time of year and, you know, let's just admit it, uh, you know, make them remind maybe, of, not that they ever forget, but really bring that to the forefront where, as you know, I, I, I ask a lot of questions. So this can be a, a very difficult time of the year of reaching out to people and getting them to respond. And it's nothing personal. I get it. I still do it, but I realize I've been doing this long enough now, seven years, over seven years, that I know this time of year can be difficult. But fortunately, I've been able, some people have gotten back to me, and I think that I'm going to be able to get a couple interviews done before we get too close to Christmas. And so that should fill out probably the rest of the year. And then we start moving in. Whereas like the beginning of the year, because everybody's kind of uh, rejuvenated, looking forward, maybe a lot of positive things. You know, my experience is that in January, when you start reaching out to people, more people are, are more likely to respond. So I took this weekend to take advantage of this good work time that I still have, and uh, I think it's going to pay off. Now, you should know, though, this weekend, um, I'm supposed to play again. I will not be missing this tournament. This is right here in the Tampa area, and it's two rounds in one day, just on Saturday, which uh, will be a lot easier. Whereas, I was going to have to go down to Bradenton twice. And... um, of course, if I played poorly on Saturday, I could have said I'm not coming back for Sunday. But, you know, you know, you, the last thing you want to do is get down there and maybe not want to be there and then play well and then feel obligated to come back the next day. So I just said the heck with it, uh, and I, I withdrew. But I will not be withdrawing. Uh, I will not be withdrawing uh, on Saturday, especially since uh, one of my best friends runs the tournament. And he does a spectacular job. And at least one of the the courses I do kind of like here in in the area. So I will be there, but I'll be playing all day. For sure. Oops. And that will be over in the Tampa area. Both, uh, Both courses are in the Tampa area. One is like south of Tampa and then one kind of is to the west of Tampa. So I'll be doing that this weekend, but instead of me playing uh, disc golf this past weekend, I went and tried out a new, it was, it was Fat Cat's Tavern where I usually play trivia, but it was different people running it. And so me um, uh, and two of my other, or three, technically three of my other trivia teammates, uh, Scott, Mike, and Kevin all showed up. And we ended up winning on Saturday night by quite a bit. There were only like seven teams there, but uh, we won by quite a bit, uh, quite a quite a bit. And um, you know, we didn't get to play last Thursday because of Doctor Telesco's show. And then last Tuesday, I went over and played by myself, and I made it competitive. But then I missed the final question, and so I didn't finish anywhere near uh in the money or anything so that has been my trivia stuff going on um 
since you saw me last. Getting more into that uh, towards the – it used to be just once a week. Now I'm like I'm going a couple times a week. And I already have planned when I go to Pennsylvania. I've been already looking up trivia places. Maybe my dad and I will go like around where he lives. So maybe he and I uh, can check that out. So I've been having some fun with that. Maybe also uh, you saw that just a few days ago, was it Saturday night, Friday night? I It, it was very foggy here. I, I know maybe a lot of people, you know, most people don't live near the shore. Uh, you know, whether it's the Gulf of Mexico or the Atlantic or the Pacific. But I think a lot of people get the idea what's all, you know, you get a lot of what they call the marine layer. And so it's like foggy in the morning a lot. That doesn't happen a lot in my area. It never has since I moved here 12 years ago. That really doesn't happen that often. I I don't know why. Maybe it's because it's mostly warm here all the time. Whereas in L.A., you have to realize something about Los Angeles. It's nice all of the year, but it never really gets hot. And you also have to remember the Pacific Ocean is way colder than the Gulf of Mexico is. Way colder. I've been in the Pacific Ocean in L.A. It's not warm. And I think that's a factor too. So it doesn't get – we don't get that marine layer. We don't – it hardly is ever foggy. Maybe three times a year. Well, one of those nights was just a couple nights ago, and I got it on video. I posted on Facebook for everybody to see. And it is a spectacle, especially when you have the Christmas lights out there now. And it, it, it is really, really spooky. And it is thick. I mean, it's really, really thick. I didn't drive in it on whatever night that was. But I have driven like that before. And it's creepy. It's just like, you know, London fog or something. It's pretty, pretty thick when it does happen. And so I got some video of that. It's pretty cool. And maybe you got to check check that out. And also, regarding my travel plans for uh, the rest of the year, uh, next Tuesday, as I was just telling my nephew Charlie, heard me talking to him, um, I will be flying from here to Denver, Colorado again. And then I will be taking the uh, Greeley Express again to Greeley, Colorado again. That'll be on December. I'll be on next Tuesday, December 12th. And I will be there till Thursday. So two, two stay over two nights there. And then I will be flying from Denver to Pittsburgh where I will be until sometime between Christmas and New Year's. I'll surely be there for Christmas But it'll just be like last year where I came back to Florida somewhere like halfway between Christmas and New Year's. So maybe around the 27th or 28th, something like that. So I will be in Pennsylvania from the 14th to about the 28th. Uh, As I've stated before, Charlie's mother, my sister, uh, her 50th wedding anniversary is next Friday. So a week and a half from now. And I'll be going to that. And I will see Charlie and his sons and my my brother Brian, who lives here, will be there. His wife, my brother Michael, his wife will be there. Everybody, we're going to be getting together in a place called Catanning, which is in Armstrong County, about 20 minutes from where I grew up. Uh, we'll be all getting together for that anniversary. And I will have to wear a suit. And sure, there will be pictures 
So eventually all of you will get to see what I look like in a suit. And you better really, really catch it because I don't wear suits very often. I'm not a suit guy, as you probably already know. So those are my travel plans uh, for now. I'll be there for a couple weeks. Of course, dad is ecstatic that I'm going to be there for Christmas. And I think I'm going to be getting together with my brother Michael and his wife uh, for, for Christmas Eve, just like we did last year. I'm hoping for a ton of snow in Pennsylvania. I'm hoping it gets down below zero. I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping. I got my wish last year because I'm going to be there. I want it to be miserable. I don't want any of this 25 degrees and no snow and it just being brown everywhere. If it's that, I'm going to be very, very upset. I'm going to be there. Let's just give it to me. So we shall see. And I'm going to be flying Frontier Airlines. And uh, this is all, by the way, uh, I want to thank uh, the production company because I'm going out to Greeley for this TV show. And it's this UK company that's filming it. And so they're paying for all this. They're being that they would have to pay for me to fly back to Florida anyway. Um, they are, of course, paying for my flight to Colorado, but then they are also playing, paying for my flight from Colorado to Pittsburgh. So really, to get back to Florida, I'll just have to pay for me flying back uh, just one way to Florida. And, and truth be known, probably I'll get my dad to pay for it. <laughs> so uh, I, I want to really thank them uh, for doing that, although we are cutting it close. I'm getting into pencil on the fourth. Pennsylvania on the 14th and uh, my sister's anniversary is on the 15th, the very next day, but it'll all work out unless there's some crazy weather or something that that's really out of my control. So what is everybody uh, saying here? Um, I've been rattling on for a while. Uh, I'm going to get to your question here. I'm going to start off with your question, Valerie. Thank you. Uh, Lisa, what's going on? Good to see you, Lisa. Joe, how are you? Um, it's admirable you gave up your disc golf to get more work done. Uh, the podcast always comes first, Hazel. Hazel. In fact, I will tell you, uh, although I don't know if this has ever happened in an actual tournament round, I will tell you, like in casual rounds or with the club over at Taylor, whatever, I've walked off the disc golf course in the middle of rounds because guests have called me. That's a true story. Um, Julian, how are you? Good to see you. Where you been? Good to see you. Good to see you in the, in the chat tonight, Julian. I hope you're doing well up there in uh, New York. Trivia sounds so fun. It is, Valerie. You should go sometime. Jay, there's Julian as well. Um... Yeah, on YouTube, you can see all that. There's uh, Cherie. Uh, I'll stalk you, Ed. Don't do that, everything. Don't stalk me. Uh, Brian says, I hope you get your snow in Pennsylvania. I'm, I'm hoping. Uh, I, I'm really, really hoping. It was it was awesome last year. It was below zero, and uh, it was just free. It was just It just snowed and snowed and snowed, and it was like seven below and everything. I'm not a fan of snow, but if, like I said, if I'm going to be there, I want to be challenged. I want to be challenged. Christmas is summer here in New Zealand. Yeah, summer. Yeah. Well, people can have their lunch here on the beach as well, Hazel. Yes. 
That's um, Charlie says hoping for some snow as well. It's just dark. Lisa and Julia are arguing. That's funny. Um, it's sunny in 72 in South Texas. No snow for me. Thanks. Shree says stitching what's going on. Good to see you tonight. Good to see you. Um, I got a couple questions here, so I'm just going. So that's kind of like done with the personal stuff. I made some chicken wings this evening. Needed to make sure my face was all clean before I got on camera here. That would be embarrassing. And, uh, you know, I, I like uh, also I've kind of made myself a little list of things that I want to do in Pennsylvania. People I want to see. And like I said, my dad and I, I'm going to try to get him to go to trivia in a couple places because I'll be there for a couple weeks. But I'm really not guaranteeing how much work I'm going to get done. I, I'm anticipating that uh, even though I'm going to Colorado next week, I think there will still be an episode next Friday because I'll be taking my equipment with me. It'll be the week after, so that would be December 22nd. Not sure about that right now. And then, of course, uh, as far as there will not be a live show on Christmas Day. Although uh, there, of course, will be a live show on New Year's Day in the evening, as usual. So Valerie asked me, weird question, do you like roller coasters or water parks? I like them both, Valerie. Um, You know, I do have some motion sickness issues, so I have to watch anything that kind of uh, spins is a problem. But roller coaster them roller coasters themselves going up and down. Although I will admit, some years ago, Charlie's probably saying, "Well, wait a minute, Ed. We went to we went to uh, Universal a few years back, and you didn't go." And, and that is true. I did not get on some of those rides. I should have, Charlie. I'm a I'm a different man now, Charlie. Um, but I really do like them in general. If I go to uh, Disney World, although it's been a while, I'll go on Space Mountain and and all those things. So, yes, and water parks, yeah, I like them too, but, you know, uh, water parks probably for people that are a lot younger than I am or people with kids and things. But, yeah, back in the day, um, big uh, water park guy, love the slides and all of that stuff, but – Probably at my age with no kids going now is a little weird. But that's a good question. Thank you for asking me, Valerie. Heather asked me, do I like Christmas? I do. Uh, Are there people who don't like Christmas? Maybe there are. Maybe people have um, some bad memories or something. Maybe people don't celebrate it due to their belief system. I guess that's possible too. I uh, I do like Christmas. I would admit that I like Christmas more that now that I'm an adult. Then I know that sounds weird. Um, than when why I was a kid, probably because I spent all those Christmases around adults. You know, I didn't have anybody in my family that was around my age, and so. It was a little bit of a boring time around the holidays. Uh, you know, the the kids were either like my my uh, cousins Ronnie and Pam, like were a lot older than I am. Then they had kids who were a lot younger than I was, so I was like stuck in the middle by myself. And really, I had more fun at 
in Christmases once I moved to Las Vegas and I actually had to work them with my friends. No offense uh, to family out there. But um, once I moved to Las Vegas working in entertainment, the show never stops. You're working with your fellow performers or stagehands or whoever else. That was always a good time. And now these days living in Florida, of course, my brother Brian's here, his wife. And then a few times, of course, the last few Christmases, I've gone gone back to Pennsylvania, gotten together with my sister, my brother. Fantastic times. But I, I have to say as a kid, even though you're getting stuff, I think I would have much preferred getting less stuff and being able to celebrate it with people around my age, to be honest. But Christmas, I love this time of year. I love the music. I've been playing a lot of Christmas music. And I love the decorations, and I love the feeling, and I love a lot of the movies and everything. Even though I am single, even though I don't have really any, you know, uh, anyone in my life that I can share it with, I don't have any kids or anything. I think it's spectacular. I don't know, you know. And I love kind of the, you know, the. the I do, even though I'm not I'm not that religious a person. I do love the religious part of it, and the mysticism part of it, and all of that. I find it all fascinating. Um, I know there was another question here, uh, before I move on, <laughs> uh, I hope you get my, yeah, snow. Um, will you update us when the documentary comes out? I will Valerie. Um, it's going to be what I'm going to be working on next week. And like I said, I'm just one of. I think a few people who who are getting flown in or whatever to to do all of this. Um, I think it's going to be a three-episode series, but I'm not sure where it's going to play. I'm guessing you'll eventually be able to get it in the United States, but I really – I don't know. I don't know. Uh, What is everybody uh, saying here? Christmas should be snowy. Stitching hates the cold. Um, Stitching, I'm not kidding about you. The Fox and me should do a live stream and talk about some cases to see what you think. Uh, Stitching, if you want to arrange something, um, I suppose we could make that happen in 2024. We could do that. Lisa says, I don't do heights. I was going to say, me too. uh, Oh, Charlie, you remember from those years ago. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just being honest. You were there. I'm being honest. Didn't go on some of those rides. Got a little scared. I'm a different man, though. Um, I don't do heights. Ferris wheels, though. See, that might make me sick. Uh, I get Nico has the same problem. Favorite Christmas movie. Has to be a Christmas story, Hazel, the one with Ralphie and the BB gun. That is just right up my alley, truthfully. Um, so, uh, yeah, but I also like, uh, uh, of course, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I, I was like the perfect age when that came out. I came out. When I was 19 in 1989. So I was like the perfect age for that movie. And uh, I enjoy it to this day. I think it has a lot of great humor in it. But I think Christmas stories 
is great. But the thing is, I also consider Lethal Weapon and Die Hard to be Christmas movies as well. And uh, actually, in the preference there, I actually prefer Lethal Weapon over Die Hard. I think I'm in the minority on that. Um, most people, I think, prefer Die Hard over Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon's a little more of a – even though there's comedy in it, it's a little more darker movie. I actually prefer Lethal Weapon. All right. Let's get into the true crime stuff, being that I've been rattling on about all uh, – kind of a little bit true crime stuff going to Colorado. But um, let's talk – uh, a few unfound items. Let's first start uh, with the Pauline Diaz poll, but you need to know something. There has been a development already since the podcast came out on Friday. Uh, I've not gotten uh, permission yet to show the video. I've seen the video, and it very well may be that Paula and Juanita have posted it on their pages or somewhere. Uh, but I've not posted it on Unfound's page or the group yet. I think I'll eventually put it on the website as well. But something happened yesterday morning in San Antonio, Texas. Juanita, one of the guests, uh, has a camera on her house that points out toward the street. I don't know why. But what happened was... She'd gone out to her truck, which was parked on the street, and on the tailgate of her truck, she had a sign, something along the lines of Pauline Diaz missing, help find Pauline Diaz, some sign like that. And it was like a magnet or something on the tailgate of her pickup truck. Well, she goes out to her truck and sees that most of the sign is gone. So she has this camera that videos everything. They go back inside and rewind the video to see a car pull up. A woman get out of the car and rip most of the sign off. And uh, you'll get – once again, you'll get to see for yourself. This is in broad daylight. It's not like in the middle of the night. This was not 3 in the morning. The sun was up, clear as day. You can see what kind of car it is. The The video isn't in color. I don't think it is. But you can tell what kind of car it is. You can see like what kind of rims it has. It's, it's an identifiable car. This woman, man, she yanks on this thing. Well, it just so happens uh, that Juanita and Paula know exactly who these people are. And recognize, I think, the woman or the car or both. And they went over to that house, and yep, that car was there. And wouldn't you know that this person is connected to Pete, uh, Pauline's estranged husband, maybe divorced husband now, maybe got a divorce after she went missing, maybe not, I don't remember. But uh, the Pete that was talked about in the uh, episode, these people are kind of it's not like his son or daughter or anything like that but these are people who know Pete so was the podcast the instigation of this i don't know i, I of course i'm going to say the timing sure is curious 
but my understanding, and like I said, I can't get into everything that um, Paula and Juanita and I have talked about since this occurred. They they let me know at about five o'clock yesterday, five p.m. Eastern time, so yesterday, December third, and then we had a chance to talk about it in the think tank last night. But it very well could be that they find out that the podcast came out and they were all ticked off about it. Could be. But my understanding is this is the first time anything like this has has ever happened. Something that was this forward, this like right, you know, at their house. This is my understanding that this is something like this has ever happened. Uh, I don't think that their cars have ever been damaged before. I don't think that there's ever been a situation where maybe they had signs up in the yard and they got stolen or anything like that. This is the first of that kind of thing. And I'm going to take for granted that these people didn't know that Juanita had a camera pointed out uh, you know, at the street. And like I said, I'm hoping uh, I will get to post it. And like I said, maybe Paul and Juanita have already posted on Facebook somewhere. You're more than welcome to go look for that. But it's clear as day. I mean, there is no question what happened. It was on purpose. And they did turn this into the police. They did let the police know and see the video. And so I don't know what's going to become of it. Certainly could lead us in a direction that the podcast hit close to home. Certainly could be. But you should also know that although we did discuss a few things uh, in the podcast that my interview with the two of them that were kind of new. You know, a lot of what we covered has been out there. I mean, certainly us mentioning Pete's name in the episode was not new. Uh, you can find articles going back years, in fact, to the point where, you know, there are articles. Police today went over to Pauline Diaz, the strange husband's property, and dug it up. I mean, that's several stories like that from several years ago. So it's not like... That was a big reveal. Audrey's name has been out there, even though we didn't say her last name. A lot of what we talked about uh, is already out there, which, of course, make all the sense in the world, given that this disappearance is 13 years old. And Paula and Juanita have done a lot of media over the years. Although, like I said, there are certain some other things um, that maybe other places missed due to time or whatever else that we did cover maybe a lot more in depth, like her phone, like her shoes and things, maybe a little more in depth than maybe other people had the time to do. So as far as anybody being upset about it, I don't know. I've made my opinions known on this particular topic before. Now, to my knowledge, this is the first time anybody's vehicle has been vandalized in Unfound's existence. We've you know, we go to Tom Brown, John Spira, uh, Nico Lisi, and many others where the guests or where we know the guests or later, you know, something happened where signs got torn down, billboards got torn down, flyers got torn down, signs were vandalized on public property or on a, uh, a telephone pole or something like that. This is the first time a family member's car has been vandalized. And but you also know me. I don't. 
I hear so much about stories like this that I'm not inclined to think that any of this stuff is is personal. And in fact, we found out, for example, with Tom Brown and all those signs that were put up and then some of them torn down, at least in the second instance of when that happened, it was sure it was some old guy in Canadian who was tearing them down because they were going to be having some festival. And he thought the the signs made the town look bad. And he thought all these people who are going to be coming into Canadian for this festival would see these signs and be like, what the heck's going on here? That's why he did it. Not because he had anything to do with Tom's death. And see, I got to be honest, that sort of reasoning that that guy had falls more in line with what I think about when I hear stories like this. Now, everybody, every certain, you have to take each one individually, certainly. But this fall, that falls more in my line because I know how people are. People are petty. You know, uh, people are only thinking about themselves and, and everything else. And then, all, uh, then you got kids out there that are ripping all sorts of signs down, not just missing persons flyer signs, but all sorts of things down. But with this, this was certainly a targeted attack. I've been told it was done by somebody who can be connected to Pete somehow. So, of course, you got to take that a lot more seriously. That still doesn't mean any of these people had anything to do with Pauline's disappearance. Got to remember that. Doesn't automatically mean that. It very well may just be mean that they have no idea what happened to Pauline and they're just sick and tired of Pauline, Apollo and Juanita bringing up Pete's name or something. And they're just absolutely 100% frustrated. Maybe that's it. But this just, I don't want you to get the idea that this automatically means, means all these people had something to do with, you know, what, um, uh, you know, that they all had something to do with Pauline's disappearance or they even know what happened. Do not automatically go to that. Who knows? These people might have been drunk yesterday morning and just did it because of that. We don't know. So that is uh, the development since, um, I guess, what we would say Friday afternoon. Less than 48 hours later or, or somewhere around there, around 48 hours later, signs getting ripped off Juanita's truck. I don't think that's something that I could have predicted. Now, on that note, though, the the Pauline Diaz poll in the group, almost everybody decided that Pete was responsible for a disappearance, and I can understand that. I don't know if there's any proof of that. He certainly acted weird, or I don't know if Rockford's in here tonight. But as Rockford said in the think tank last night on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Unfound podcast, if you'd like to be part of the think tank, we have a great time there. It's our own little club. You should join. As Rockford pointed out, though, he said, well, what are the odds that somebody else did it? And Pete just acted, you know, the way that he did, and he didn't have anything to do with it. Good point. It's a solid point made by Rockford last night. The counter to that, though, would be, as I state with any guest who's ever been uh, on there, there on unfound there's just certain things that they're going to say that there's no way that you can go back like 13 years to verify anything so anything that the guest says you can choose to believe it or not i will do my best to question them and see if 
they're making sense. And, um, you know, we, we, uh, have successfully to this part avoided any defamation lawsuits or anything like that. So I ask, I really, really, really try to be objective, but I also know how much the guests really like to shade information in the direction of foul play. And all of us here, you know, you listen, if you've been listening to unfound for just a couple years, you're getting a pretty good understanding of how, you know, what, what causes disappearances and how these things kind of happen. Even you've listened to maybe just a hundred episodes. Remember there's almost 400 episodes of unfound. Now, if you've listened to just quarter of them, you have a pretty good handle on disappearances. If you're really, really listening. And so, you know, that Pete makes an excellent, excellent suspect. No matter if Paula and Juanita think he did it, thinks he did it or not. Colleen had moved out. She's getting divorced. We all know how dangerous that time is, especially for women. And of course, Dan Markell found out that divorce can be dangerous for men too. So these things happen. But I don't want you to automatically think Pete did it just because of this license, or not license plate, but sign ripping incident. So let's now see what everybody is uh, saying here. Um, yeah, you go talk to him, uh, Stitching. Man, why is my nose kind of running tonight? What is going on here? Uh, did they get a license plate? Lisa, uh, Lisa Joe, they, they know who did it. They went right to the house. They, 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 look, they saw who the woman was. They saw the car. And these people kind of live close to where they do. And it seems... I don't know know if they've had a run-in with them, but they just know everybody. And this is like almost like family. So they know these cars and everything. So they didn't even need to get a license plate to to figure out who did it. Uh, Puma says trying to intimidate. Could be. Maybe they're starting to feel the pressure. That's certainly one interpretation, Lisa Joe. uh, why are you so mad about a podcast unless you're possibly involved? That's no reason for that. Jay's, um, I, I think that's some decent reasoning, but we also know people do all sorts of stupid things for stupid reasons. Hello, Macy. What's going on? Good to see you. Uh, Lisa, just seems that the signs, et cetera, do more than just raise awareness. I, I got to be honest, Lisa Joe. I, I the billboards and all these things that people put money into them. I'm not sure they re- solve anything. I know it makes it's something to do. It makes people feel good, especially when you can raise money and people get involved and everything. I just don't know how many disappearances have been solved by somebody seeing a billboard. Whereas there's certainly proof, especially within like the last five years. The covering unsolved murders, unsolved disappearances on podcast can certainly have a, an effect. You know, even though, you know, so of course a lot of people believe with Payne Lindsay, with Tara Grinstead, even this year for Unfound, we've covered four disappearances this year that got solved like within weeks after the episodes coming out. Now I'm willing to admit maybe one of those or two of those were just a coincidence, but surely not all four. So you can have an effect, but, you know, we have to look for these types of things. Whereas with billboards and flyers and things, I don't know if there's any scientific proof that they work. 
I know it makes people feel good to do it, though. Uh, Tammy Klingery's disappearance. I would love to hear. Uh, Macy, I got to be honest. I'm not even sure I recognize the name. I got to be honest. Um, but not on someone's private property. I know Lisa Jotes, bet you can't be doing that. But I'm not even sure what this woman did was a felony. Uh, Lisa Joe, I'm, I try like crazy to realize that there's not much I can prove after 40 plus years. I really try hard not to make any assumptions. Yeah, Jay's ask Lori Vallow Daybell about being dangerous to ex-husbands and basically anyone or ever. Yeah, she was uh she certainly is a piece of work, Jay's certainly. So that's the newest information. Uh, and you should know I do know the names, uh, the name of the owner of the car, and I know the name of the owner of the house where the car was and all that stuff. Uh, not getting into that right now. All I will say was it's somebody that w- that was known to Paul and Juanita, and all they had to do is verify by going over to a particular house to verify that was who they thought it was, and they were correct. That's all I can say right now. They may say more. They give me permission to post a video in the group. In fact, I told Paula she could just post it herself. You can see it for yourself. The video is only, um, I don't know, 10 seconds long or something like that. Uh, but man, this woman really wrenches on that sign. You'll see what I mean. All right, moving on. Um, of course the newest unfound now is out and wow, was it at least an unfound, uh, YouTube channel terms, it got popular fast. And this was the disappearance of Chelsea Grimm. I hope everybody has checked that out. If you have, please make sure that you've given that video a thumbs up and please, uh, Post some comments in there. Some people have commented. Maybe you want to have a a talk about Chelsea's disappearance. And this is a a young woman who was driving, allegedly going to be driving from San Diego to Connecticut for uh, a wedding. And something in with all that, something went wrong in Arizona. And now she is missing. Her car was found with two flat tires. She and her pet. Bearded dragon, which I believe is like a, a lizard or a, a reptile of some type, are both missing. Her phone's not there. Purse wasn't there. Other things were not there. But her car was found abandoned. So that is the um, recent disappearance that I decided to uh, talk about for Unfound Now. And I did do something different with Unfound Now for this month. I just made it audio. Uh, I have some people have had gotten a comment here and there. You know, you really should put uh, pictures of the missing person or the the, the car or, or whatever else uh, as a, uh, a another choice besides me appearing on camera. And I decided to try that out this time. I'm not saying I'm going to do it every month, but I will be honest. Me just doing the audio and putting pictures to it is easier than me. Uh, doing uh, the video with me on camera and everything, just being honest. So we'll just have to see what I do uh, the next time around. But Unfound Now is here to stay. I love uh, analyzing these very recent disappearances, and you should be looking for one, uh, the next one at the end of this month. But if you've not checked it out, Unfound Now, the disappearance of Chelsea Grimm. She went missing in Arizona at the end of September, so two months ago. Moving on, um, what do I want to talk about next? Let's see. Uh, so Kathy's asking Macy, what does she think happened to Tammy 
Um, Jay's asks me, how recent are the cases you cover on Unfound Now? Usually within, it could range anywhere, Jay's, from like a month old to about three months old. It just kind of depends. Um, Chelsea's is one that I picked out kind of in the middle of November, but I didn't get around to recording it till the end of November. So that ended about, up, uh, ended up being about two months old. That's probably about the average. Maybe that's even on the little longer side. Usually I think the disappearances are a little closer, maybe like a month and a half, but anywhere between a, a month old and three months old is, is what I'm looking at. And if you're wondering how I do that, I just go to NamUs and I just put that in the search criteria and then I start looking at the names and I start looking at the circumstances and everything else. And then I just pick one out randomly. That's how I do that. Um, so good question though, Jace. Thank you for asking. Uh, let's go to, let's cover a couple of um, recent uh, news items that one is certainly, uh, in fact, she's even mentioned in the article, certainly unfound connected. And the other one could be connected to an unfound disappearance. I'm first going to go to Lincoln County, Mississippi. Lincoln County Sheriff's Office is looking into a body found Saturday afternoon. So this is not, I don't think it's this past Saturday, but I think it might be like a week ago, nine days ago. That may have been there six months or longer. It began when dispatch was notified that a hunter located possible human remains near a road leading into a wooded area on Wooly Trail. Initial information indicates that no one had been to that location since about May 2023. Deputies responded to the scene and then requested the assistance of the Minnesota, uh, Mississippi Bureau of Investigations, along with the Mississippi Crime Lab response team and the Lincoln County Coroner's Office. The remains were un- recovered by the crime lab and sent to the state medical examiner's office for further testing. Sheriff Steve Rushing says deputies are checking with surrounding counties to see if the remains match any missing people due to the condition of the remains. No further description as to sex race or how long they had been at the scene is available at this time without further testing by the state lab. That's the most recent information. So not a ton of details. All we know at this point that remains were found in Lincoln County, Mississippi. Well, it just so happens that, Unfound has covered a disappearance from Lincoln County, Mississippi. Can you name it? Probably not off the top of your head, but that disappearance would be Jonathan Estes from Bogue Cheeto, B-O-G-U-E, and then Cheeto, C-H-I-T-T-O, Mississippi. Bogue Cheeto is in Lincoln County, Mississippi. Also did a um, name a search to see if there were any other missing people besides Jonathan from Lincoln County. And guess what? There is no others. That doesn't necessarily mean that this is Jonathan, but we got to talk about it. Now, if you're wondering why I really don't remember Jonathan's disappearance, I'm going to tell you. Uh, If you'll remember, Jonathan was married and had some marriage issues. And he was going through a divorce. And the reason, there were maybe two reasons that might spark your memory regarding this. One, 
Jonathan actually took a video of him, I wouldn't say arguing, but disagreeing with his wife. He was over there to get some stuff, and she wouldn't let him have it. And so he was waiting for a a police officer, officer to show up to kind of manage the situation. And while he was waiting, he was talking, Jonathan was talking to his soon-to-be ex-wife back and forth, and he got it all on video, and we posted it. Maybe that rings a bell. The other reason Jonathan's disappearance might ring a bell is because this is the one where a piece of equipment went moving. She claimed that she didn't know anything about it. Then it was discovered somewhere, and it turned out she had sold it. That trial has still never happened. I have no, what's go- no idea what's going on there. So those are kind of the two noteworthy stories from the disappearance. But the disappearance regarding the circumstances is that Jonathan was at wherever he was living by himself, and he was talking to a friend of his, and I actually got to speak to this friend. And they were on the phone, and Jonathan said, you know what? I'm looking out my window, and there's a cop car that steeps going up and down my road. I'm going to go see what this is all about. He said goodbye to his friend, hung up the phone. Jonathan was never seen again. And there has been a a theory out there. I don't know if it's through the grapevine or whether we want to believe it. But could it be that some police officer who was friends with Jonathan's ex-wife, could that person have done something to Jonathan? Jonathan goes outside, the cop pulls in, something happens. There's no proof of that. But that is a story, that is a theory that has been thrown around. Of course, Jonathan's family did a bunch of searches around that area, found nothing. But you should know, just looking at the map, as best as I understand Jonathan's disappearance, going back and checking my notes on that, and looking at the best information regarding these remains that have been found, you should know these two locations are really not close to each other. They're both in Lincoln County, but where Jonathan was living uh, is not near where the remains are found. Now, very well, maybe something happened and somebody took his body out there and dumped it there. I guess that's possible. But before you get too crazy about what's the only, only missing person in Lincoln County, it must be Jonathan, just don't. Just don't know. It very well could be this person's from a totally different county, hitchhiking through, homeless or something, and died in that spot. But given that Jonathan's the only missing person in Lincoln County and remains were found in Lincoln County, I have to talk about it. So though those uh, are some of the circumstances. If you don't remember Jonathan Estes's episode, that's from a few years back now, maybe 2020. I think that's uh, maybe three years ago, like during COVID or sometime in there. It was certainly after my mother died. I think it was certainly after I moved into this uh, condo that that episode came out. But if you haven't listened to that one yet, given this recent news, maybe it's a good time to go uh, pick that one out of your app and listen to it. Now, the other, though, the other story uh, that, uh, at least even in the article itself, uh, the missing woman is mentioned, and this story is from South Dakota. You're on South Dakota, so I'm going to read that one to you now. 
Search crews are at work on a farm northeast of Yoron. Law enforcement is focused on a piece of land along the James River. The search comes about two weeks after the 10-year anniversary of the disappearance of Rachel Sears. Remember that disappearance? Her mother was the guest. Now, this is more recently than Jonathan's. This might only be within the last couple of years. Rachel Sears, uh, last name C-Y-R-I-A-C-K-S, and is in an area where authorities have searched for the missing woman in the past. Rachel Sears was last seen 10 years ago when she picked her husband up after he got out of jail. Authorities say Brad Sears was the last person to see her. He's never been charged in connection with the disappearance. South Dakota Attorney General Marty Jackley says no one has been ruled out as a suspect in the case. Though a decade has now passed, authorities are still looking for Rachel Sears. Earlier this month, Jackley confirmed law enforcement haven't given up on finding her. As we go out and look for leads, we talk to witnesses. The community wants to bring Rachel home. The missing 30-year-old woman was last seen November 13th, 2013 in Woonsocket. Her damage pickup was found the following January. So, um, and then I want to read. So on the anniversary of her disappearance, the attorney general asked for public, the public for tips. That request got people talking in Euron. As promised, investigators are following up on every tip and lead. We got a call from the sheriff about a week ago, and he said the dive team had thought they had found something or a suspicion they had found something. And could they go onto our land to get down to the river? Freeman also allowed our camp our camera on our land to see what's happening on our neighbor's property. Crews are using boats as they search along the banks of the James river. There's a temporary shelter on the shore. Authorities search the authorities searched the area, same area several years ago, but didn't find what they were looking for. This time locals are wondering if the search for Cirques will finally come to an end. Can I say the word creepy? I don't know. It's just strange. If it does, in fact, end up being her, I think her name's Rachel Sears. It's just odd to think that if it's her, that someone has been up there for 10 years and no one knew this. Like a, um, This is like a, a local who lives near the area where it's being searched. So it's kind of a contrast. In one with Jonathan Estes, we have a situation where remains have been found, but Jonathan does not get mentioned in the article at all. And then we have this article where Rachel gets mentioned, but no remains have been found at all. So it's, it, they're like the mirror image uh, of each other. I, I don't know what to think about this. Um, you know, a lot of people throwing around tips out there. And I, I do think that they have it right. I do believe that the, the man in Rachel's life is responsible for her disappearance. I do not believe that it's a coincidence that she went missing um, after he got out of jail. Now, why that happened, I don't know. May, I, I, you know, I'm really, I did not go back and look at my Rachel Sears notes, to be honest, uh, for this uh, show tonight. But did she maybe have another man in her life or something and, and the husband found out or something like that? Maybe that was part of it. So I think as far as theories go, they're on the right track. And I certainly hope that her remains are found this time around. Uh, but uh, you have to just remember that uh, there were a lot of words in that article, article, but nothing has been found yet. So keep that in mind. So 
we have a couple unfound disappearances that uh, you know, well, at least one got mentioned. The other one, I'm kind of just putting Jonathan Estes's name in there. And you should know, uh, although I've not reached out to Rachel's mother, um, I have sent a message to Jonathan Estes's sister, who was the guest for that episode. And she's not yet gotten back to me. I wouldn't look into that too deeply. I just told her, you know, I saw the news about these remains. What do you think? She's not gotten back to me yet. But as I think I've already told you some months ago, although I still don't know what happened. uh, And I haven't asked. But something went on. And I, I can say this because she's posted about it on her Facebook page. It's public knowledge. Something went on with she and her husband and another person or another group where it sounds like Melissa and her husband or his boyfriend, but her husband, the man in her life really got injured. I don't know what happened. This was not something that was Melissa. It wasn't some sort of domestic violence thing between Melissa and her husband. It was not that they were on the same team on this. And they were fighting somebody else. And as far as I can tell, her husband got it way worse than Melissa did. He's alive. He's still alive. It sounds like he's recovering and everything. But something went down that um, was not good. And surely that has really limited Melissa's uh, ability to uh, publicize Jonathan's disappearance and all that. And very well may be the reason that she's not gotten back to me yet. Like I said, I'm not speaking out of school. She's been writing about it. She wrote about it earlier this year about something that happened. Although she was never specific on what it was. It it sounds to me like some people showed up at their house for some reason. I don't know who these people are. I don't know what happened. And I've not, there may be news stories wherever she lives. I've not even looked that up. So I don't know. But I sent a message to her. She doesn't get back to me. Totally fine uh, regarding the remains that are found. On the other hand, I've not contacted Rachel's mother yet uh, to see what she thinks of all this. If I do, I'll let you know. Um, Let me see here. Uh, Kathy and Jasmine are talking back and forth. Um, Oh, wait. Julian says... uh, Two months ago, well, I know some crazy missing cases that are recent. Margaret, uh, Kaylana Turner, uh, Julian, actually I did. Uh, I've already featured that on an Unfound Now. In fact, I did that as a favor for, although may, I might have gotten to it myself anyway. Uh, that was actually a request from friend of the program, John Lorden. He had had his, uh, her parents on his show right on YouTube. And then he emailed me and asking me if, um, you know, being that I do nothing but disappearances, could I feature Kaolana in some way? And so I decided to make her the next unfound now. So I, um, I know about that disappearance. I've talked about, uh, that disappearance. You should go find that unfound now episode, Julian. Uh, Kathy says, I believe Jonathan Eston walked off due to the problems in his life at the time with Cindy, et cetera. 
certainly um, the more and more we get into disappearances, Kathy, the more we learn about them as we've gone from episode 100 to 200 to 300, we know how common that is. So I can't, uh, I can't argue with that. But on the other hand, we also know that divorces can bring up the worst parts in people, uh, just like we had maybe with Pauline Diaz, Dan Markell, other people. Joyan says, I remember that story with Jonathan. That was so weird. He hangs up the phone and disappears. Maybe the cop was looking for someone prowling in the neighborhood and Jonathan ran into them. Could be uh, Julian, uh, but I I have to be honest. It's been more along the line. Could this police officer or some police officer just be directly responsible? Um, Hazel said, would be good to have two cases you covered resolved before Christmas, Uh, if not more, Hazel. Uh, to tell you the truth, you know, I don't know from year to year what my ex- expectations are supposed to be regarding resolutions, but we've had quite a few resolved this year. I mean, uh, quite a few is, is still maybe single digits, but when we start looking at Matthew Braswell and uh, Alan Glasgow and Brandon Roberts and then Bowman, and some others. Fed, you know, we have to remember how difficult these disappearances are to solve in the first place. So Unfound will have covered, you know, we have the Unfound, maybe 45 disappearances, something like that, 43 to 45 disappearances this year. Remember, we have the update episodes and uh, some other things that I like to do, anniversary episodes. So we, it's not a true 52 weeks, 52 disappearances. Maybe 43 to 44, but this year, I think six or seven or eight uh, will have been resolved. So that eight out of a total of 43 covered in a year, although it's not that necessarily that 43, some of them are, that's a pretty good percentage because the overall percentage from the beginning going back to 2016 is under 10%. I think it's 29 out of 315 or something now. Whereas if we get eight resolved and we've covered a total of 43 this year, you know, that's like, um, that's like 15% or something. That's almost 20%, which, you know, uh, we wish it was 30, but it's better than 10%. So This is the way you just have to look at these things, uh, Hazel. You know, you can't – you have to be very realistic about it. But, you know, um, and you look at some – like Bo Mans, I'm not saying – granted, the resolution came a couple months after the episode came out. I don't know if I found anything to do with it or not. But that was one where I'm not sure anybody thought it was ever going to be resolved. And then when it was resolved, everybody was very surprised. In fact, I would say it's one of the most surprising resolutions that has occurred in the last seven years. So you never know how these things are going to happen. Kathy says, Julian, remind me. Uh, I, sub- I will remind you, Kathy, uh, what um, the conversation that, that Jonathan had with his friend who I spoke to back at the time. Jonathan was talking to his friend, just a normal conversation. And out of nowhere, Jonathan said, you know, there's a police car going up and down my road. 
I'm going to go outside to find out what's going on. He hangs up the phone. The friend said he sounded just like the Jonathan that he had ever known. And that was that. And this was not in nighttime. This is like in the middle of the day. Uh, and so that, uh, that's, the, that's the circumstances, Kathy. Of course, they did searches and everything else. And uh, But I, I remind you, going back to that particular article, where the remains were found and where Jonathan was talking on the phone at his place, two totally separate, different locations that are not close to each other. I did the map on it. It's, it's not close. It's like 20 miles away or something. If that means anything to you. All right. Uh, moving on. On, I don't know if I want to get the whole way into this article, although I did copy a lot of it. It's it's somewhat long, but there was a guy. His name is Thomas Randelli, R-A-N-D-E or Randeel, R-A-N-D-E-L-E. He was dying of cancer, lung cancer in 2021, but he had a secret. In March 2021, he called his daughter to his bedside. He had terminal cancer, was not going to survive. And he admitted that he was a fugitive. And that back in 1969, so over 50 years ago, he was was known as Ted Conrad, working at a bank, in Ohio, and he ripped that bank off to the tune of $215,000. Now, keep in mind, this is in 1969 dollar terms. That's like $2 million now in cash. He was one of the last people at the bank. He went into the, he had like a bag or something. He went into the vault. And just took all the money and took off. The only thing he also did other than that was I think he might have had a woman in his life at the time. And he called her to let her know what had gone on. And that was the last anybody ever heard of him. Well, he reinvented his life. Uh, That happened in Ohio. And he moved around, but he ended up, where did he end up? He ended up in Boston. So he went from Ohio uh, to the uh, suburbs of Boston. He changed his name to Thomas Randeely or Randeel, R-A-N-D-E-L-E, and lived out his life with that money. And it wasn't, like I said, until he knew that he was dying from cancer that he wanted to confess to what he did. Now, you have to keep in mind, he didn't kill anybody. There was no violence involved. He just went in, took the money on a Friday. When everybody came in on Monday, all the money was gone and he was gone. And so he successfully um, had this new identity for over 50 years. And I'm pretty sure if he had not admitted this to his daughter, that he might have died and nobody would have ever known what actually did happen to Ted Conrad. Now, what's also interesting about this, though, if you can believe this, 
that he stole that $215,000 in cash. Despite that, he still ended up filing for bankruptcy in the 2000s sometime. Now, he had a job. What does it say he did? He was a car salesman. He was a golf pro at a country club. He got married. He had his daughter. Um, he went to the soccer games. He was just a regular old person like anybody else. But he was a fugitive from the law under living under uh, a different identity. And he, it says here in an ironic twist, he also donated to a local police char- charity and he spent hours watching NCIS and other crime shows, his daughter said. Um, and what it says here, back in Cleveland when he was t- Ted Conrad, Ted Conrad, an elusive bank robber, he was out, barely out of his teens when he pulled off one of the largest heists in Ohio history. And he said uh, it was inspired by the movie The Thomas Crown Affair. It turns out that Ted Conrad, who became Thomas Randeel, uh, was a big fan of the original Thomas Crown Affair movie, which um, starred Steve McQueen. Of course, the remake in the 1990s was with Pierce Brosnan in the main title role. And so, but now that um, the daughter is talking about this, and I think that she's going to be starting a podcast, so everybody will be looking for it, talking about her father and finding all of this out and, and everything. She says in this article, it's in this article, she now starts looking back at... her being raised by him and going through everything. And, and she starts thinking, well, you know, now that I think about a lot of these things, man, they are kind of strange. For example, she said her father would not leave the United States. Would not go to Canada, would not go to Mexico, would not go to Europe. He refused. He said he didn't like flying. He came up with all these excuses to never leave the United States. Well, now we know why, because he would have had to have applied for a passport, and he was probably afraid that would get him caught. There were other things uh, that the, that is that are mentioned in this article that the daughter, once again, thinks back and says it's, it's kind of weird. He had shown his wife and, and daughter pictures of when he was younger. So this would have been after the robbery, after he changed his name and what he was doing. That back then in the early days, he uh, he always had a clean-shaven face and everything else. But once he got married and had his daughter, he had a beard all the time. In addition, when he would go out in public, he would always wear a hat. Always. And so she thinks back at these things and thinks now she gets it. You know, the reason he was doing these things is because he didn't want to be identified. Let me, um, yeah, uh, see what else it says in this article. Uh, yeah, into a paper bag and walked away from his old life, old life. Days later, Conrad sent two letters to his then girlfriend from DC and LA saying how much he loved and missed her, then the case went cold. So he went to D.C. and L.A., but we remember remember, he ended up in the Boston area, so this could have been a way to 
throw off the investigation. What also helped him was that the week that he decided to do this, the very next week was when um, Apollo 11 landed on the moon, and that ate up all of all media coverage everywhere in the United States. So this really huge, big heist got pushed, pushed to the back pages. That might have helped uh, as well. But it talks about how they were looking California, Hawaii, Texas, Oregon. Um, so uh, what else does it say here? Uh, and, and his daughter says that he believed her dad loved the Thomas Crown of Air movie so much. That's how he picked his new first name, Thomas, as a tribute to the main character. So, of course, we don't do uh, robberies on Unfound, but we do throw around the idea. Could some of these people walked out of their lives, got new identities, and just kept living? And what this shows is this can be done. Here's a guy who stole $2 million in in 21st century money in cash, which that certainly helped him get away. I mean, if he had done it in gold bars or something uh, a little easier to trace, he might have gotten caught. But being that it was in cash, but it still seems he doesn't didn't manage his money very well, that um, you know, he, he ended up going bankrupt. I would, you know, I don't know. Um, you know, it might be hard to invest it. You'd have to find a way to launder it. Uh, you'd probably have to open up several different bank accounts. He might have been afraid that, you know, I go here, I go there, put some money in this bank, put some money in that bank. Is, is the IRS or somebody going to start sniffing around and find out who I really am? Maybe he was afraid of that. So he might have been hoarding the money, maybe putting it all under his mattress. And sometimes having such easy access to cash uh, is too much of a temptation. And what do they say? That uh, a fool and his money are soon parted. And it might have been burning a hole in his pocket. Maybe that had something to do with it. It very well could be that if he had a chance to invest it, like all law-abiding people should do, then he might not have gone bankrupt. He might have been able to turn that. Uh, $215,000 in 1960 money into many, many millions of dollars in 21st century money because he wouldn't have to work or anything. But he didn't. So this sounds like something, though, that was planned. He did it on a Friday, so this was thought out beforehand. He knew the name he was going to pick. He knew that he would be at the bank by himself. It was a Friday. He knew nobody would notice that what he did until Monday, and even though the police were after him all this whole time, he was able to evade them. And, you know, it wasn't until he confessed that uh, it was turned out. And, and you should know, I think what happened was the daughter never did tell police until he died. I think that's the way it happened. And so this can be done. There's another example of it. Now, I'm not going to get into the disappearances that I think are are good candidates from Unfound's catalog. We might think this person could have done this. This person could have done that. And it, and it is interesting, um, you know, being that Julian's in here uh, and, and he was the guest for where uh, Richard Reisman um, – 
kidnapped Julian's uh, family member, seemingly kidnapped her. They went off together, and of course, they've, they're still missing uh, almost 50 years later. Could they have changed their identities? Absolutely. Of course, the problem is, of course, Richard Griezmann uh, was already a murderer, which... You know, that is bad news, but it is certainly possible. So I wanted to read this um, to all of you for something to think about. I have a couple more things to say about it, though. Um, Kathy, go back to Jonathan Estes. So thanks that I couldn't remember what the phone call was about. Law enforcement could have been driving up and down Jonathan's world, but I don't think a law enforcement had anything to do with John. All right, uh, stitching. We'll have to talk. We can talk about that uh, offline, uh, maybe. But yeah, if we can make something happen, great. Um, Lisa Joe saying to Julian, maybe that's what Richard did change his identity. Certainly possible. Uh, hi everyone. Hello, Charlene. I hope you're all having a great day. If you possibly send some of the Florida weather to Island, it'd be great because it's currently between negative four C and zero C. So for all of us Americans. That's like just below uh, freezing temperature. So like 30 degrees, 28 degrees, 26 degrees, somewhere in there. I'm very sorry to hear that. <laughs> very sorry. I know I'm laughing, but I very well may be in a couple of weeks, Charlene. I'm in ex that exact same weather, if not a lot worse in Pennsylvania. There's Rockford. Rockford, what's going on? I, I mentioned you earlier in the live show tonight. Rockford, so putting the moral aspect aside regarding this Thomas Rand deal, was it worth it? I'd hate missing out on travel. We're in constantly the beard thing, et cetera. No, thanks. I don't know. Um, I don't think it said anything about that in this article, but it very well may be this daughter doing is going to be doing this podcast. She may talk about that. I think it, Rockford, I think you bring up a really good um, moral question. Okay. You stole that money. You don't have to go to work anymore, but you it, you know, the only thing is you have to look over your shoulder for the rest of your life. I don't know. I, I, I couldn't do that. Uh, as I keep saying, I'm too good looking to go to jail. So I, I, uh, you know, I couldn't do that. I don't care if it was Powerball money. No, 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 no. And I'm not a rich guy by any means. I'm a podcaster for gosh sakes. Um, but you know, and I realize a lot of people out there in horrible financial conditions, horrible, whether they've blown the money themselves or bad investments, lost their jobs, health issues. A lot of people out there, of course, money issues is one of the biggest reasons that people get divorced. It's one of the biggest uh, things that causes stresses with people. We all understand that if, if you've ever been short on money, you know, and, I, and I, I've been one of those people, but still. I think there might be a part of us that think, you know what? I could take that million dollars and I'm smart enough uh, to evade law enforcement for the rest of my li I'm, life. I'm sure that it does go through if anybody's ever had an opportunity. But theory and practice are two totally, totally different things. Two totally different things. And what you also realize is that once you make that decision to steal that money, there's no going back. There's no going back. You really have to understand that even if you were to steal it for a week and then have regrets and bring it all back, 
you're going to jail. You're going to jail. I don't know how long, but the next at least few years are going to be uh, unpleasant. Maybe you can spend time in jail writing your memoirs and and uh, writing about why you did it, and it'll be a best-selling book once you get out of jail. I suppose you could think about it this way, but um, I don't – You know, for me, I don't like living with stuff like that. You know, Of course, I've never done anything like this. I would never do anything like that, but – the way I've lived my life is I don't like that kind of stuff on my conscience. Even if I think that I can get away with somebody or something, so even the tiniest of little things, I got a conscious, the conscience that just, I'm not saying I'm a goody two shoes or I'm perfect or anything else, but I'm here to tell you in my adult life, I err toward the side of not wanting to have anything to do with anything where I think later I'm going to be like, man, that was a big mistake. If I even think that something is going to be even the tiniest of a mistake, I don't do it. I just don't do it. And whether it has to uh, do with breaking the law or or anything else, I just don't like that type of stuff. But – Easy for me to talk. Uh, I've never been that desperate, and uh, and I realize there have been people who have been, who have been. And this is how you get all these stories about how some treasurer for some little leg is, you know, taking all the money, and this is how these things happen. It's happening all the time. You know, people with money issues and gambling problems and drug problems, and they'll try to take money from anywhere. Um, Julian, easily, especially easy to disappear back in the 60s and 70s when Judy and Richard vanished. Yeah. My perception it, uh, is, e- is it was easier then than now. But even within the last 12, 15 years, Julian, we have like this uh, that. Hoagland guy, the one from uh, New York or from Connecticut who went missing, and he successfully pulled it off for 10 years. And had he not died of a heart attack, we'd still not, never know what happened to him. Dale Kerstetter. So Sheree's uh, interesting. So Sheree's throwing out the idea that maybe Dale Kerstetter was a guy who took off out of his life and took his uh, partial cut of that platinum theft. Well, I got to admit, Sheree, that would be probably a better ending than what I think happened to him, where I think that he actually was part of the heist and then got double-crossed. You know, I I suppose we're, you know, neither of the guys, if this situation were very good people, whoever this other person was that was part of the heist. But, you know, am I supposed to hope that Dale uh, lived for like, maybe still alive now? Am I supposed to think, be happier that he got double crossed or am I supposed to be happier that he continued to live with the platinum? I really don't know. Either way, he would be a, a, a felon. So I, I don't know, but I, I it's, uh, I can't argue with the Shree. Uh, Rockford it's stories like this that lead me to my outlier idea that the number of unfound disappears cases where the person is still alive is around 20. That is a high number. That's, that's like 7%. Of course, 30% would be like around 10%. So 20% is like 6.7% um, will come for me on this one, but I'm steadfast. Okay. Man, I just, 
I mean, obviously, as you know, Rockford, I've been stunned by a few things. Uh, uh, things that have transpired regarding unfound disappearance over the past seven plus years. And I realized that you might not have been around for some of it, you know, until the last couple of years. And I appreciate you becoming a listener, but wow, that would be more shocking than anything. If I were to be told that is a true statistic, I would just be blown away. I mean, I, you know, I thought that Eric Franks, car being found in one police and peace and, uh, was stunning. This would be, if it was 20, if it were 20, that would be the discovery of Eric Franks's car times like a million. Tree uh, says also says not worth it. Uh, yeah, Kathy says five and under. There she goes. There's your rebut, uh, Rockford. And Brandon Roberts, I, uh, Lisa, Lisa just says I have a guilty conscience and she's a terrible liar. There she is. I hear you, Kathy. Tell respect. Uh, Robert Hoagland, I think the guy from New York. That's right. See, you're from that area, Julian, so you know about that. Uh, Julian, Ed is right. Robert was living in Connecticut. Yep. Ed is too good looking to go to jail and we need unfound. I'm, I've been saying I'm too good looking to go to jail. This is not a new quip. I've been saying this for like 30 years and it's kept me out of a lot of trouble. Uh, so, so there we go. Um, we have this guy who successfully pulled it off. And I'm sure if he had not confessed to his daughter, we still, I'm not sure of it. We still might not know. Now, very well may be that once he died and his wife and daughter start going through all of his stuff, they might start thinking, was he really who he said he was? Maybe that would have happened, like it happened with Robert Hoagland. But maybe not. Certainly, uh, Thomas Randall made it easy by just telling his daughter who he was. But like I said, I think that she kept it under wraps until he was deceased before letting this all out because – uh, the way the law can be, they don't want to hear about your, you know, you pulled this off for over 50 years. You're making us look bad. You're dying of cancer. We're still putting you in handcuffs and going to charge you and everything. So I don't hold it against her that she didn't bring this out until after her father was deceased. I, I, I get it. I get it. What's most important is that she eventually came out with the information and now everybody knows. And we'll just have to live with the i the the fact that Ted Conrad never spent a day in jail. This is we don't want to encourage more people to be doing things like that. And I realize we're just bank money. It's all of our money. We have to realize when banks get robbed and gold bars get stolen and all these things, it's not the bank's money. That's everybody's money in there. And then all of the rest of us through the FDIC or whatever will have to pay for it to be replaced remember that all right um i now want to talk about uh as i had in the um having the title these two very strange stories and this is once again what makes disappearances so difficult and i'm going to go on the record before i read both of them that we have to be very open to the idea that there are unfound disappearances that are still unsolved that, that we featured that the re, that the the resolutions might be like these and in fact we've already kind of had one and that would be Daniel Villarreal so the first one comes to us from New York City Julian Quiterio your city uh police in New York have identified the 24 year old woman from Minnesota who was found dead at the bottom of a garbage chute 
inside a Manhattan condo building after a work party. The woman, identified as Jacqueline Elmquist, was found dead Friday afternoon, so this is just a few days ago, at the Plus Art at 540 West 28th Street. An investigation in the incident is ongoing. No criminality suspected at this time. Surveillance video shows Elmquist stumbling along the sidewalk and appears to be inebriated. It hasn't been determined if she determined if she was intoxicated, but it's a possibility. A police source told the New York Post it's being looked at. NBC New York reported the woman didn't live in the condo building where her body was discovered, adding it's not clear how she got in. Elmquist's cousin said in a Friday post on Twitter, X, that Jackie failed to come home after a work party Thursday night in Manhattan. My cousin Jackie Elmquist has been missing since last night after she left the work party in Manhattan. She didn't come home or show up for work this morning. Please spread the word so people in the area can see it since all of her family lives here in Minnesota. Um... Now, you may be hearing this story. Might be. Do you remember, uh, being that it's been a, a little while since this other woman went missing, she may end up becoming a, an unfound episode one of these days. But does everybody remember Heidi Plank, P-L-A-N-C-K? Remember her, the woman that was, was at her son's football game or soccer game, left at halftime. She ended up being seen in downtown L.A. walking her dog. Her dog ended up on the 28th floor. She is still missing, by the way, even though they went and searched a, uh, a uh, you know, a garbage pile or, you know, where they put garbage, whatever. You know, the word is escaping me. She has still not been found, but her, her um, dog was found on the 20th floor. And if you also remember, I did a follow-up story, story earlier this year where there was talks about there was this huge party with drugs and strippers. And everything, and Heidi showed up, and she died, and they got rid of her. Remember all that? This Jackie Omquist story kind of reminds me of that. Now, I, I will say now what I said back then about Heidi Plank. And you have to remember, as all of you know, or not all of you, but a lot of you know, I live in a condo building. Landfill in Castell. Yeah, landfill. God, thank you for the word. I live in a condo building. It is 20 floors high. Four condos per floor. It's A is over there. I'm B, C, D. And there is a garbage chute. And it is right out my door, like five, six steps. You turn the corner. There's a door. You open it up. You pull the thing. And that's the garbage chute. I'm not saying... No adult woman, you know, uh, ruling out, of course, little people. But your your average American woman could not fit, and this is nothing against their American woman. The suit in this building is not very large. It's like this wide. It's maybe a foot wide. Person could get legs in maybe, maybe could get their head in, but try getting it past your shoulders or whatever, good luck. Even for your average woman. But I realize that not all garbage chutes are created the same. So it very well may be there are garbage chutes out that are a lot bigger than that. I have no idea. I'm not an expert on garbage chutes. But what I think 
is at least in my building, uh, a woman like Jackie, a woman like Heidi would not be able to fit in a garbage chute. But it does seem that's what happened to Jackie. It does seem that, that this building that she was in, why she ended up in that chute, I don't know. They say it's not foul play. I'm willing to believe that. I don't know what was going through her mind at the time if she chose to do that on her own. I don't know, but uh, drunk people make a lot. If she was drunk, she might have been on drugs or something too. I don't know how we could um, rationally determine, all of us being sober tonight here, determine what was going through her head. I have no idea. But I guess what I'm saying is, even though you couldn't do this in my condo building, I guess there are condo buildings where at least women could fit in. And I guess going back then to Heidi Plank's disappearance, that maybe it may, then makes all the sense in the world that that's what happened to her. Now, maybe she got put in there by force, but she could have gone, Heidi could have gone into that shoot by accident. If they're going to think that Jackie went in by accident or by her own choice, not by accident necessarily, but by her own free choice, then we have to be open to the idea that Heidi went into one by choice as well. But it also just shows you how on a fine line some of these things can be. It's just very sad. Jackie is dead. It's very sad. And I'm sure all of her family is done. Maybe she had issues. Maybe she was an alcoholic. I have no idea. Maybe she had an addiction. I have no idea. Either way, her family is devastated. But I also think if we were to go back in a time machine and go back 10 days and find Jackie and say to her, you know what? You're going to be going to this party. Probably going to drink a little too much. Maybe also do something else. None of our business. But you're going to end up dead in a trash chute. Here's what I'm sure Jackie would have said. That's crazy. Pretty sure. But that's what happened. And this is what makes many disappearances so hard to predict. Because you know in the moment if you were to go in a time machine and go back and talk to some of these missing people and tell them, you know what, you're going to go missing in a few days. A lot of them would have said, you're crazy. But that's what happened. And just like with Daniel Villarreal, I don't know who could have predicted that he would be found in somebody's outhouse in their backyard. And it would just happen to be an outhouse that hadn't been used for several years. And then he would be in and it would be locked. I mean, it goes on and on. Nobody can predict that. Nobody has looked at more disappearances and studied them more than I have over the last seven years. And there's no way, I'm telling you, there is no way to predict something like that. And I'm sure even if you had told Daniel Villarreal a a week before he went missing, a week from now, you're going to get in two car wrecks. You're going to run off. You're going to die. You're going to be found in somebody's abandoned outhouse. He would have said that's crazy, but it happened. So we have to remember this. And, uh, and I am sure there is, you know, Rockford says he believes like 20 people have walked off out of their lives. Of course, I dispute that. Kathy disputes that. You know, I'm hoping more and more of these disappearances get solved so we maybe we can get a f- 
firmer uh, hand on things, Rockford. But what I also think that I know, though, is there are other disappearances that Unfound has covered where the result is probably very similar to Daniel Villarreal's. That are very similar to Jackie Elmquist's. And if you want to believe it's similar to Heidi Plank's. Where these missing people ended up in places and the remains are in places that just can't be predicted. It's not that anybody hid them there. It's not that these people necessarily went there by choice. They might have been on drugs. They might have been drunk or something. They weren't forced. But they still ended up in these very weird places that nobody would think to look And it's going to take an accident to find them. Just like it happened with Daniel Villarreal. Remember what happened? He was in there. The woman who owns the properties, you know, asked her son, you know, there's, I got this outhouse or whatever in the back, or it's a, I don't know, it was a pool house or something. I haven't used it in a while. It's locked. I can't open it. I don't know why. Can you, can you do something? So the son goes out there, takes the door off the hinges. There's Daniel. Nobody can predict that. I am sure there are other disappearances that are unsolved that are exactly like his in the 300 some. There's no doubt in my mind. You might even think about, oh, this, this, you know, in retrospect, if we'd only known more about disappearances back at the time, uh, if we only knew then what we know now, like Esther Westenbarger. In her car, drives into that pond, disappears found 10 years later due to an accident. HOA decides, you know what? This pond out here, man, it's always looking so mucky and has all that green stuff, algae on the top. Let's clear that out. That looks like crap. They put some chemical in the water, clears it up. Boom, there's Esther in her car. Total luck. If somebody had just said, you know what? The scum is the scum is the scum. Esther is still missing. There's no doubt in my mind. This is just how on a fine edge we are with these disappearances. It's being that it's my work, I find it fascinating. I don't know if any of you find, I know you all take interest in disappearances. I don't know if, uh, if you find it as fascinating and as interesting as I do, but it's what I do. And it just, it, it's just, I could talk about this forever. Um, uh, Ed, Molly Miller and Cold Hands, what do you think? Uh, you know, I got to tell you, Stitching, I'm still very up in the air. And, I, you know, and I, I like Paula, who was the guest, Paula Fielder. I got along with her well. I haven't talked to her in a while. And, and I know so many different people have covered disappearances. I got to be honest, Stitching, I'm still not convinced there was foul play. But if that's what you want to talk about, you know, if we want to talk offline about doing something together with the, the, the other person – we can certainly talk about it if you want to make it a topic of discussion. Certainly, I'm, I'm all ready for that. Uh, Hazel says, don't go falling down the chute, Ed. I, I could never fit into this chute out here. Uh, somebody would have to cut me up to fit me in there. Uh, Plank case is fascinating, Rockford says. Local coverage has been nothing lately. We've had some crazy OD cases lately, even by our standards. That's my best guess on her. Okay. Rockford, you inclined to believe this whole thing about the party on the 28th floor and all of that or not? Rockford, I agree on Heidi. Uh, reminds me of the Pri- Prisma Reyes disappearance. Cranky, I don't know that disappearance. Uh, Rockford says, also look up Corey Barron, who died in a shoot at a Jason Aldean concert in Cleveland. I kind of do remember that, Rockford. Thank you for reminding me. 
Um, yeah, I think of three other incidents where people have fallen into a shoot and died. I think, yeah, Shri, I think you bring uh, up that up. I think this, it's like a college thing, isn't it? You know, college, uh, some of these dormitories at some of these real big universities are like 10 or 12, 15 floors and they have garbage chutes and kids are playing around and, you know, you know, put mattresses down at the bottom and then they try to slide down or something. I think that some of them, those maybe have happened. Um, I've also read stories about, uh, college kids going elevator surfing. A lot of these dormitories, of course, if they're really tall of elevators and they start messing around with the elevators and they start, uh, you know, pulling a thing like Bruce Willis did in Die Hard riding on the top instead of actually in the elevator riding on the top and something happens. Kids these days, but you're probably right, Shree. I said it last week and I'll repeat it. Fleischman went looking for warmth or some refuge in a cold Charlotte night and got himself stuck or trapped some minutes and then same guess for Tyler Davis. Uh, Rockford, I'm inclined to agree with you regarding Kyle Fleischman. Makes all the sense in the world. But there's another story. So, that, so that's the first one. Here's the second one. The body of a Michigan man was found inside a ventilation system at a community college on Sunday. This is like, think, not yesterday, last Sunday. Authorities are investigating how 36-year-old Jason Thompson of Clinton Township ended up in the vents at Macomb County, Macomb Community College in Macomb County. According to NBC News, Thompson's body was discovered inside the college's Center for the Performing Arts after authorities responded to a call about a quote-unquote foul odor in the building. Macomb College Police Chief William Levins said that an investigation into the death is ongoing. However, there's no reason to suspect foul play. Uh, Thompson had been missing for more than a month. According to his family, we last saw him on October 25th. He was missing. He went missing on November 1st. Macomb Community College spokesman, spokesperson Gene Nickel told NBC News that Thompson was not affiliated with the school. So how he gained access to the campus building has not been disclosed. And according to the Detroit Free Press, authorities did not offer speculation about how the body ended up in the ventilation system or how long it had been there. The community college extends heartfelt condolences during this difficult time to Mr. Thompson's family and friends. So here we go, a 36-year-old who doesn't go to that school, somehow ends up in the ventilation system of that school in a performing arts, performing arts building, so like a theater. So he's kind of doing what, uh, bring up Bruce Willis did, again, what Bruce Willis did in Die Hard, climbing through this ventilation, uh, the ventilation system to avoid the terrorists and uh, Hans Gruber and everybody else. And it seems, I guess, he got stuck. I, I don't, you know, maybe he died. It doesn't say why he died here. Did he get stuck? I, 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 I don't know. That, that would make a lot of sense. Maybe, once again, maybe he was on drugs and he was overdosing, climbed, somehow got into the building, went up in the ventilation system, and died 
from the overdose, had a heart attack, had a stroke or something and died. And wasn't that he got stuck and couldn't breathe or couldn't eat and no drink or anything else. Because you have to remember that you can get stuck and it'll kill you right away. You could be stuck to the point where you can breathe, but you can't move. Now, the question is, if he's in this ventilation system, school is going on. I'm sure people were in that building. In fact, I'm guessing that's how this foul stench was smelled. Why didn't he yell out for people? Why didn't he say, hey, I'm stuck up here. Can somebody help me if he was in there for like a couple of days? You might live a couple of days. You know, if you're stuck somewhere, you can breathe, but you can't escape. All you need to do is hear somebody come in and start yelling, and they would have gotten him out of there. So what happened here? Maybe he, on the other hand, maybe he was afraid. Afraid, you know, I'm going to get in trouble. (laughs) I'll figure out how to get out of this on my own once everybody leaves for the day, and that didn't work out. So I say these things are unpredictable. Now, am I going to go as far as to say uh, a missing person featured on Unfound is stuck in some ventilation system somewhere? Probably not. Given that the average age of a disappearance we cover on Unfound is like over 20 years old, I'm doubting that somebody was stuck in a ventilation system for over 20 years. On the other hand, though, I might believe that a missing person unfound is featured, uh, went into somebody's barn and died out in the middle of nowhere and still hasn't been discovered, and it's been 20 years. That's certainly possible for me to believe, and there's no reason that anybody would even think to look in this barn. That certainly makes a lot of sense to me. So I, I – you know, you know. unfortunately, in a small, small – I feel bad for these families. It's horrible. But we do have to also acknowledge the bizarreness of the, these both of these situations. Woman in trash chute who – and then we got this guy in a ventilation system at a school where he doesn't even go to school. Um Let's see. Yes, all young people. Rockford, I don't buy the 28th floor party, but I'm open to a smaller gathering. Okay, Rockford, thank you. Ed, have you covered 17-year-old Jesse Ross? Uh, I have stitching. I think he was older than that, though. Uh, He was in college. I think he was like 20 or 21 years old stitching. But yes, that was a a disappearance I think we featured maybe four years ago, maybe in 2019. His father was the guest. In fact, I've had just a couple conversations with his father recently. Yep, Jesse went to Chicago, left that conference, never to be seen again. Um, see uh, the trash shoots I, I've seen are higher up, like not belly belly level. So depending on her height, she had to have climbed. It's and it's odd for sure. Uh, Valerie, I will tell you that the trash shoot in my building is not high. It's like waist level. Maybe maybe for me, maybe stomach level. I'm five nine. Maybe it's stomach level. It's not high. It's not like up here. Like if I'm standing, it's not like up here. It's it's like right here. Uh, so it, it's, I think it's still easy to put things in it. And I suppose if we had some kid up here who little kid who was looking for trouble or just messing around and was playing hide and go seek, 
Could a little kid open up that chute and fit in there and then slide, unfortunately, the whole way down to the bottom? Yeah. Uh, Kathy, I studied the Las Vegas shooting quite a bit. Okay. Um, not to mention people finding chimneys. You're right, Sheree. That happens too. People get stuck in chimneys. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know. Rockford, there's a podcaster who did a pretty decent series on Brian Schaefer who makes a compelling case that he never left the ugly tuna building. Not my theory, but it was a huge building. Rockford, uh, I got to be honest, any podcaster who would make a compelling case for that, I would not call that a pretty decent series. <laughs> Being honest, that's just. Uh, I mean, what can I say about that? I. um. It's it's just uh, I think it's crazy. I I just think that anybody who really is really gonna look at that possibility for more than a minute is just doing it to fill up time. Once again, I'm reading stories about people getting stuck in buildings, but we also realize even though this Mr. Thompson was in there for a month, that's only a month. Brian Schaefer has been missing for what almost 15 years now or something. I forget the year now. Um, and then even this woman, she goes into a trash chute. Now, she, uh, now the thing is, it doesn't sound like she was stuck in the trash chute. It seems to me she went into the trash chute and came out the bottom and died. And we have to remember these trash chutes, they are straight down. It's not like going on a slide at the, at the playground. These things are straight down. So it's just like falling. If you're getting in the trash chute on the 13th floor, it's just like jumping out a window on the 13th floor. You know, odds of survival are not good. So I just, you know, I, I don't know. This is, as if you've listened to that episode, you then you know that I'm very good friends. I've become very good friends. In fact, I went to her wedding, the guest for that episode. And I'm not saying this just because I'm, uh, I, I'm friends with Kelly Bruce, coach now, or although I know I mispronounce her last name every single time. Um, you know, she seems to still be the most reasonable person who's really, 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 really taken the deepest look at this. So I just, you know, yeah, it's a big building, but you know, well then what are we saying? Are we saying that Brian's still in there and nobody's noticed the smell? Are we saying that then somebody found him as Freddie was going to get in trouble for, uh, insurance purpose or something? It, I mean, how far do we want to take this? I, I don't know. Um, so those are those stories. Uh, I'm open to a couple of Unfound's disappearances being like that, but Brian Schaefer's is surely not one of those. Um, couple other things. Um, by the way, you see these? These are Steve Pankey letters. I got them within the last week. I've not opened them yet. <laughs> and keep in mind, I got these without me writing back to him. So I wrote him. He wrote me. I wrote him. He wrote me. I wrote him. He wrote me. I've not written him back yet, but I still I got two more letters from him. And these envelopes are thick. I'm pretty sure there's at least three pages of writing in both of these. 
I've not opened them yet. Um, simply just being a little too busy trying to work on episodes because I know as soon as I open these, I'm going to want to like dissect every word that he says, but I just don't have the time to do that right now. But two more letters from Steve Pankey. And uh, I will open them, uh, I don't know, probably before the end of the week. And then depending on what they say, I will talk about them for the next live show next Monday. But of course, he does have a lot of time on his hands. He's in jail for the rest of his life. So I will be interested to see what he has um, to say. Now, somebody did ask me, you know, he has he ever count has he Ed, has he ever told you his own theory? Uh in fact, in the last letter, uh, he is pretty definitive. Whether you want to believe him or not, that's up to you. But he's pretty definitive that um he has no idea when, where, how, who of what happened to Janelle Matthews. That's what he wrote me, so despite all the stuff. I can't make any sense of it. I don't know. Despite all the stuff he said back in the 1980s and forward to when I interviewed him in 2019 and in the trials and everything else, in the last letter that he sent me, he said, I have no idea what happened. No who, no how, why, when, where, whatever regarding why Janelle Matthews died. That's what he wrote. Once again, you can believe that or not for yourself. Uh, anything else? I was going to get to uh, talking a little bit more about Dr. Telesco's show from this past Thursday, but we're just running out of time. And really, I said all I probably all I needed to say uh, about the Colonial Parkway murders and how my belief is that all of the disappearances and the murders are all completely separate. I made the best argument I can make regarding that, and we'll see if anybody wants to challenge me on that i'd love to maybe get into some sort of discussion on that you know a forum or or, or something but i don't know if that's going to happen so i think that is about it for tonight except for this friday's episode and that is the disappearance of jamie lee jamie lee being a young man he was 19 he was from um prairie village Alberta, Canada, but he went missing from an area called Smoky Flats, Alberta, Canada, and he went missing in the very early hours in the morning before it was uh, the sun had come up on September 4th of 2011, so we're looking at a disappearance that is over 12 years old. His mother, Julie DeWinter, D-E-W-I-N-T-E-R, is uh his mother is the guest and i think you know a lot of you are very schooled on disappearances and i think you're going to figure out very early on that this is going to remind you of another uh very well-known maybe the most well-known uh missing persons case in canada at least in the 21st century and that would be of madison scott now granted jamie's a guy madison's a woman young woman but Jamie went camping with friends at a place that he had been many, many times before. And in fact, his mother will, in the interview, says that there were like over 100 people there, although he was with a certain group. There were like 100 
you know, late teens, early 20-somethings out in this area, Smoky Flats, Alberta, Canada, all camping out, all out doing whatever, whatever Canadian kids do. And Jamie had a couple with him. He wanted to drive home. His friends would not let him drink and drive. And he got in a vehicle, and his friends, trying to help him out, pulled him from the vehicle, and Jamie ended up hitting his head on, like, the door frame or something. And he was all ticked off. They didn't get, allegedly, they didn't get any any fights or anything. Uh, but Jamie wanted to walk it off. It's still dark. He left where they were, never to be seen again. And there were all sorts of searches just as big as when they did for Madison Scott's disappearance. The only thing they found of Jamie's was some sort of medical card with his name on it and some cigarettes of the brand that Jamie smoked. Now, of course, what we want to remember about Madison Scott's disappearance that went unsolved for a very long time, her remains were found this year, but nowhere near Vanderhoof where she was camping. They were found on private property and they were buried. We still don't have any uh, information regarding what exactly happened there. So could this have happened with Jamie as well? The reason he wasn't found in this, in this area is because he got picked up by somebody or something. So this is Jamie Lee, Smoky Flats, Alberta, Canada, September 4th, 2011. His mother, Julie DeWinter is the guest. And the title of this episode is what are the odds? What are the odds is the title of this episode. Of course, I will explain that uh, once you get to the episode, why that is the theme for this particular episode. So that's all I got for the tonight. And I want to thank uh, my assistant, Emily, for contacting uh, Jamie's uh, mother, Julie, and that's how she came to be interviewed. Good job, Emily. So that's all I got. Um, like I said, it's a fantastic show. I had everything lined up for you. Was this not a fantastic show? Of course it was. Give this a thumbs up. Subscribe. Consider contributing through Patreon, PayPal, or YouTube uh, to what we do here. And that's all I got. Keep your heads on swivels. Next Monday, we'll be doing this live show schedule, but after that, I'll be like in Pennsylvania, so there'll be a different background. I haven't figured out. There will be no live show on Christmas Day, by the way, but I don't. we might just skip a week. I don't know, but we'll figure that out before then. Good night, everyone. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening if you're listening to this as a podcast, and you will hear and see me on Friday for the disappearance of Jamie Lee. Say hi to the boys for me, Charlie, although I'll be seeing you all next Friday.